Could you make other things? I could teach you my line of work. You know, timepieces and clocks and so on. One could not tell you, sir. One has never attempted such things. Well, you will now. Also, you'll spend part of each evening in instruction with me. And what is the purpose of this instruction? To teach you, Andrew, to teach you all the things that haven't been programmed into you. Andrew, you're unique. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show about movies, specifically about one of us having never seen a movie before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 251, and our movie this week is 1999's Bicentennial Man. And joining me to talk about it, it's the Stargate Pioneer. SP, how you doing? Good. You know, it... In retrospect, it probably would have been better to have this for episode 200, yeah, but, no, you know, no, 251. Um, that's all right. So cool first thing I want to know is what's your history with Bicentennial Man? You know, I was trying to remember the first time that I saw the movie. I'm not quite sure I can definitively remember it. It came out in the holiday season in 1999. I don't think I saw it in the theaters at that point. I think I saw it either... Uh, in a home VHS rental, or I bought the DVD or whatever. But our family's history of it is when I had a mm. minivan with a rear entertainment center or system in it, we had several DVDs in there that everybody could agree to, th- two girls and a boy and everybody. And then, of course, the, the adults at the front of the van would have to listen to whatever was going on. So it, it was very limited, the amount of actual movies or tv shows that were allowed to be played at any given time if we were all in there and bicentennial man happened to be on that list that everybody could agree to that we could watch or listen to it and i've seen it or listened to it many 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 times i no longer have that minivan thank goodness but uh, i still have the dvd matter of fact i don't actually have the dvd in my house because the kids love it so much one of them has borrowed it i don't remember which (laughs) one it's not in the house um so i did not see this in theater i hadn't seen it until this week um and it's interesting to me that i hadn't because i'm such a big robin williams fan and i sort of just ate up everything he did but for whatever reason this one when i saw trailers for it just didn't didn't grab me and it kind of it didn't do well. It sort of hit the box office. I think it was a Christmas Day release, 1999. Um, and it's it flopped pretty bad. So. Uh, it was a $100 million budget, estimated budget. Uh, grossed worldwide $87 million. So didn't even make back its budget worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide um, gross. And it kind of came and went in the theater, and I just sort of went out of sight, out of mind. I would always remember or if i looked at robin williams filmography i would see this in the list but it just never jumped out at me as something to watch so you brought it up and i thought well this is a perfect opportunity and i love me some robin williams so let's check it out um it was a lot longer of a movie than i was anticipating i did no background research on it going into the movie i knew he played an android that was it that was all i knew going in i didn't know who was in it uh, who had worked on it, anything like that. So I was very surprised with how long the movie was. It wasn't quite what I expected it to be, but it was still sort of in the line of like other 
of the mid to late nineties kind of Robin Williams movies. Um, your patch Adams, Jack, um, that kind of movie where he's, he's bringing a, he is involved in a project that has a, a message to it. Mrs. Doubtfire was another one, which he did. I found out, uh, was the same director. This was Chris Columbus directed this movie. Um, so it, it, it was definitely in that sort of vein. And then as I'm watching it and I, I seem to remember something about this being based on the, um, Asimov novella and then, uh, seeing that name pop up, I thought, okay, all right. So it's Isaac Asimov. So again, as the opening credits are going, I'm kind of getting an idea maybe of what I'm getting into. Um, but it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, it's a very introspective movie. I won't go so far. I, I don't think it's a bad movie at all. Um, it certainly deserves better than the box office that it got. And it's, it's been panned uh, a bit. I know critics weren't very kind to it. Um, but some movies just aren't made for critics, right? Like there's just movies that aren't, aren't in that line. And this, this feels like a movie that was meant for a, you know, a family audience. It's perfect for what you brought up. Like it's that movie that everyone can agree on. Right. It's sort of that thing that like the kids are going to want to see and the adults aren't going to hate watching it uh, or hearing it, I guess, if you're driving. <laughs> um, and everybody in it is doing a great job. Uh, I do think that I think that um, I think that most of the performances are pretty good. Some of them are a little flat, but I feel like that's more in the writing than the character work itself. If that makes any sense. seems to be the critic response to it is that the writing was lackluster with this but it did have at the time quite the swath of mm -hmm. actors that were acknowledged to the wide majority of people there are some actors that were in, currently involved in really big things or coming out of really big things and yeah i don't think any of the performances were flat uh, i think if anything the writing was was not that great i do know that especially if i haven't watched in a while i laugh oh, yeah. and i get misty-eyed at parts in here it's it pulls at the heartstrings in the right places and as far as robin williams he has some improv in here that is acknowledged in all the documentation that he right. he was in the suit there was no stand-in and he did all the improv i don't think he was mic'd in the suit because that would have been difficult even at the time or even today it would be difficult to be mic'd in the suit without getting you know even iron man right he uh robert Downey jr if he's in the suit he's got yeah. to uh, do voiceover af afterwards um just because the technology the mic technology mm -hmm. just isn't there with the small space uh to get right. cinematic quality sound but yeah it's it was enjoyable it's entertaining is it the highest quality cinema if you're a film buff probably not in retrospect it was like mm -hmm maybe travis is gonna really like this so i'm curious as since you've never seen it what your reaction is after reviewing some of the of the best cinema out there and uh, yeah being a robin um, i mean it's, it's not going on that. my list of favorite robin williams movies but that that's a tough one to crack right because i there's stuff like um the fisher king and um uh goodwill hunting but also like my favorite is probably the birdcage um, I just love him in that. I also very much like, um, while it's one that is tough for me to watch, What Dreams May Come is a fantastic movie. Um, it's just, mm. when, 
I was out driving with my at the time girlfriend the day that his death was announced on the radio. And um, we both looked at each other and like, well, we're going to go home and watch a Robin Williams movie tonight. And so we're driving back home and we're trying to decide what to watch and what dreams may come was one of her favorite movies of all time. And she brought that up and I said, no, cause neither one of us wants to cry tonight and we won't make it through that movie. Like we will just be a blubbering mess if we do that. So we ended up watching the birdcage that night. I'm like, we, we want to laugh. We want to remember, you know, the, the clown that was, um, Robin Williams, that, that character that he could be. But in this movie, I mean, he in this movie is fantastic. He does such a good job of being the Android, you know, and like, that's not a character that's new, um, at all, obviously based on the Asimov thing, but also I grew up as a big Star Trek fan and the next generation was the show that I watched a lot. So data is that Android trying to be human. Here's this character of Andrew improving himself, getting to basically fulfill the destiny that data wants. So that was kind of cool to see. It was kind of neat to see how that played out. I think where the movie was a little, little bit lackluster for me, the writing was fine, but it wasn't uh, like, I feel like there were places where they could have improved on the writing a little bit and the pacing was, it dragged here and there, but they're telling a story over 200 years. And that's a lot of story. And what I kept thinking while I was watching it was from a writing standpoint, this feels like something that works better in a novella or a novel than it does in a film. Because you only have so much time to kind of tell that story. And when you have a book, you have more time to let things breathe. You can bring in and out more characters and give them more time within the pages to kind of do more. And I feel like, like they wanted to have certain aspects of this that they could have cut. You didn't need, for instance, um, uh, little miss her son, Lloyd, um, who becomes the, the lawyer Lloyd kind of doesn't really have anything to do. He's just sort of angry and we get no idea why he has such a disdain for Andrew really, other than one throwaway line about something to do with his father. He takes after his father. Well, there's three people. Yeah, there's three people in the movie that have disdain specifically towards mm -hmm. Andrew. There's Miss, Little Miss's sister. There's Lloyd. And there's the, I guess, owner yeah. of Northam Robotics. Those three people are all showing disdain towards him that it, needs it's it's a machine yeah it's just an appliance and that aspect of an android and ai artificial intelligence does not really come out in the movie all that much mm -hmm. it is a 1999 movie so we don't have the technology today if you're watching it today it's not going to hold up because there's like na nanobots that's postulated today that right. really aren't involved in this movie at all you have uh, much better AI stories like yep. Ada in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for instance. Um, but given the time period of 1999 and given the source material, this could be adequately redone. You're going to take away Robin Williams, though, and his performance, which I think makes this movie unique among all of the AI stuff out there. Usually it's more dark and drab, and he's really bringing out the... Mm -hmm. 
the the lightheartedness and and the uh, the comedy of it. I ran into some trivia on this movie that was the first time that I ever heard this, and I'm wanting to get your take on each name that is going to pop up as possible I was casting this, for Andrew Mark. I was I was hoping I this was going to come up because this same. was a conversation I wanted to have. Yeah. Um. Before we do that, though, real quick, I do want to say I love the fact that it is a a story being told about AI, about a robot, about all this kind of stuff. And it does stay lighthearted and very hopeful and it doesn't go dark. Um, and I kind of had that feeling throughout the movie, like it's never really going to. And I'm, I'm glad for that because I've seen um, AI artificial intelligence or I've seen iRobot um, is one where, you know, you got some, some stuff that potentially goes dark going on. Asimov wrote, that just as much as other, you know, Blade Runner, that kind of stuff. I don't need that again. I want something different. So that was a nice thing about that. But um, yeah, let's let's talk about some of the other castings because, uh, or potentials, because you're right. I do think remaking this today could be very interesting. Um, but Robin Williams is, is so, it is such a singular presence on screen that it would be tough to to do something different with that all right so maybe you have a list in front of you maybe yeah. not but i'm going to go through the list that i've got and then i want to touch base on on what you just talked about again so first name that pops up mel gibson mm -hmm. now this is 1999 mel gibson before the controversies and everything else but mel gibson kind of a comedic action guy at the time and I, wow, this movie would have had a very different feeling with him. Even his comedy is not going to come across the same it way. It really in isn't going to because anyway. his comedy, when he would do any kind of comedy, was much more predicated on sort of a wink at the camera almost. And like a, um, there was there was something about him. He didn't have the the sharp uh quick biting wit in his comedy it's more it's more of a sarcastic type of comedy plus i mean it's also tough to think of him with the lighter tone when you when you look at stuff he was doing even before this pre-controversy but braveheart payback uh ransom those are all movies he would have done right around this time or before this i think payback might have been a couple years after this but like they're dark road war he did a lot Road of very warrior. dark, very heavy yeah. things. Um, so that would have been a tough one to see. For sure. Harrison Ford. And the only thing I can think of is C-3PO <laughs> as Harrison Ford. And, and that's it's comical just to think about, but I don't think it's going to work. I mean, regarding Henry, he's probably about the closest yeah. Harrison <sighs> Ford is going to get to this role. May. Again, though, he's got too much, too dry of a sense of humor Too like, I don't know, his, his humor and his, his presence is not quite the same. It's tough for me to picture him. C-3PO as Harrison Ford, though. I like that. I, I want to see that movie. I want to see C-3PO as Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones <laughs> in a movie. That I would watch just to, just for the <laughs> Yeah, I was listening to one of your late latest episodes and i was uh very in in, in heartened to uh discover that you might be 
delving into the Indiana Jones movies here shortly with somebody that's yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun because so those are just pretty cool. Those movies are just fun. There's just something in, adventure about them is great. All right, yeah. so so Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, even even if Harrison Ford's style fit this a little bit more, I think by this stage, late nineties, he's too old for it because he's. He's older than Robin Williams. Robin Williams is what, 48? 48 in this film. Yes. He's playing somebody that's 42 at the end, but he's 48. Yeah. The next name on the list, mm-hmm. and there's a, the list is long here. The next name on the list is Michael Keaton. And the one thing that I could think about in him, not, not Batman, but if he did this, there had to have been a gig about <laughs> feeding the family yes. children. Now, now, Michael Keaton, I could see do it. Michael Keaton has comedic timing. He has uh, a pretty cool presence. I loved him. He, I don't remember what year it was exactly, but I know it was mid nineties. Multiplicity is a hilarious movie and he plays so many different versions and iterations of himself that I feel like he could do that. Um, So Michael Keaton would be one. It's not going to be the same as Robin Williams. You're not going to get, the vulnerability that Robin Williams can bring. Um, but I could see Michael Keaton in, in that kind of a role, a different movie, but no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alec Baldwin. Right. The next one on the list is Alec Baldwin. And at this, at this stage, I, no, this is before Alec Baldwin <laughs> stopped taking himself too seriously um, or started at least down the road of not taking himself so seriously but he was still very much in like the I'm Alec Baldwin and I'm going to be a leading man type role guy, as opposed to the Alec Baldwin that will show up in something and play a ridiculous caricature like he did in the departed or, you know, something like that. Um, so no, I can't, I cannot see Alec Baldwin. It's interesting. It's interesting you said leading man, because I do not think Robin Williams is the leading man in this film. I would have to say the leading man of this film is Sam Neill. And then the leading lady of the film is Embeth when it comes down to it, because there there is no leading man. Robin Williams, and I'm not even making a joke mm-hmm. or reference to the fact that he's trying to be human and he's not, but he is playing something that's that's maybe yeah. the lead character, um, but not the lead I mean, that's man. true, but it is in, it, it is Andrew's story. So, you know, and, and like fair Alec Baldwin to me is too, especially at this stage is way too self-serious to play, to put himself into that suit and wear that around set. He's either not doing that or he's going to lobby for it to be, because it takes an hour and 14 minutes of this movie before Robin Williams shows up as just himself, you know, that, that Andrew has gone through all the upgrades. I feel like Alec Baldwin doing this, he's going to try and lobby for that to happen within the first half hour. So that there's less, so they can, people can see his face, right? Probably. Yeah. First 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. None of these guys <laughs> play uh, the Mandalorian. That's for sure. Then the next name on the list, <laughs> Which I I love him, but again, I don't think he fits the role. Bill Paxton. Now, Bill, Bill, game over, man. It's game over. Uh, Bill, love him, love all his roles and everything. I just don't see I, him as the yeah, I don't man. either. He's great. He can he can definitely. I mean, he was a hell of an actor. 
I don't, I don't see the, I don't see him in that. No, no. It's again, it's a very different movie, but where, where Michael Keaton, I feel like has the, both the acting, the comedy, and there's, there's just, again, it's like, it's an it factor. It's a thing that you can't quantify. Like Robin Williams had that. I think Michael Keaton has that. Um, Bill Paxton has it, but in a different way. And it doesn't fit Andrew as a character. The next name on the list is Jeff Bridges. Eh, that's an interesting choice. I can kind of see it. I mean, if you if you take a look at his character from Tron, the first one, not the second one, which I, I by the way, I'm watching Tron Legacy pretty soon too because it's been too long. But his, I can see him, but. I don't know. I, I'm I'm visioning Robin Williams, and to take me off of Robin it, it Williams, it does. For this, I will say though, lot, uh, you know? I could see Bridges doing it in the era. I don't know necessarily if late '90s Jeff Bridges is right for that, but Starman era Jeff Bridges is because that's that same. Oh yeah, that's right in there. Star, Tron, yes. Starman, Star, same like, character. I mean, he could he could totally do that. So I would because by this point late nineties, he was, I think K-Pax came out in 98, if I remember right. And that was the Kevin Spacey is the, the alien and he's being interviewed or, or whatever by Jeff Bridges. And that was the thing I thought of when I saw that movie for the first time, it's like, Oh, it's Starman. And he's interviewing Starman. Uh, but by, by the late nineties, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's an I've interesting not seen movie. that one. Um, cause there's a lot of the play of like, is he actually an alien or not? Uh, cause he's in, it's either therapy or an institution. I don't remember exactly. It's been, I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater, but, um, uh, but that, you know, but by this point, Jeff Bridges had gotten kind of into his like almost dude like persona. So I could see Jeff Bridges doing it, but he needed to be younger. It's the, it's the only thing I think about oh, yeah. Jeff Bridges now. Everything's the dude. Uh, the next name on the list is Richard Dreyfus, and yeah, this is in the era where he was oh, yeah, doing uh, Opus, yep. uh, Opus. I think Holland's Krippendorf's Opus. tribe was around this yeah. time too. Was another one he did. I could, you know, Dreyfus is an interesting one because I think too a big part of this character of Andrew is a voice and a voice that you recognize. And that makes sense from a robotic standpoint of like playing that character. Cause like, that was the thing. Brent Spiner was really good at the voice of data and how data sounded. I think Robin Williams in this did such a good job sounding like a robot, uh, which is not an easy thing to do. Like not everybody can do that. That's I think part of why I have trouble with like Harrison Ford, Alec Baldwin, even, um, older Jeff Bridges, but, uh, I could maybe see Dreyfus pulling that off. And again, there's a vulnerability that he can portray, um, that I think would, would go there too. So. The next name on the list, I'm not familiar with any of his work from the time, or at least not off the top of my head. Howie Ooh. Mandel. Howie Mandel. I would be curious for that. I mean, by this point, let's see, he would have been, I mean, he's still doing comedy, but he also had been doing like, he did the voice work for Bobby's world 
um, was the character that he had created. It's an interesting one because that's a, I think Howie Mandel does this. It's a much more um, juvenile character, but not in like a, uh, not in a derogatory way. Just like he, he, I feel like would play the character younger. He would have done, was it real monsters? I want to say he had done a, in like the early nineties or something where he played the kid's imaginary friend monster thing. I'm not sure uh, what year that was, but um, yeah, it would have been a much more like a younger because Andrew in this starts off, you know, very young, very innocent, right? He's very naive. That's the word I'm looking for. Naive. I think Howie Mandel has a lot more naivete in his version of Andrew than Williams does. The next name on the list was interesting. And by the way, all mm-hmm. these were considered by Disney and Chris Columbus. So this, this are names that either they reached out to or were on a very short list by Disney at the time. So this is not us just pulling out names here. Next name is Martin, Martin Short. Short. Ooh. There would... I want to say it's tough to to envision Martin Short playing the character the way that Williams did. But then if you had told me that the guy who played Mork from Orc would play this character, I wouldn't have believed you because Robin Williams has so much energy and put so much energy into his performances. And then to play this, which is very stripped down, very subdued. Um, Martin Short's an interesting one. Again, I think there's a uh, a vulnerability to Martin Short in a different way from like Dreyfus, and in a different he's closer to Robin Williams than I think Richard Dreyfus is, um, and I think he's got a little more of a command presence than Howie Mandel. I don't hate that; it's not terrible. I like Martin. Yeah, we're getting into some that are not terrible. There are some that are terrible, and then some are like, hey, that's spot on. So anyway, the next name is Billy Crystal, and this is in the midst of Billy Crystal doing a lot of theater, right? And, you know, when you give the the angry Billy Crystal with the excited Billy Crystal, with the funny Billy Crystal, I could see him in the, the role. Could, it would have yeah. been a slightly different movie, but I could yeah, see him. Yeah, he's definitely got the ability to, to pull this off. Because I think you mentioned how, like, Robin, uh, Andrew isn't sort of a leading man. You need somebody that has a unique sound and a unique look to them, I think, to play this character because you have to make the suit that they're going to wear look like them a little bit. It's There's going to be some Uncanny Valley going on, but like Robin Williams, when you see his face, the way his his face is shaped and the way his mouth is, um, it's very distinct to Robin Williams. And I think somebody like Billy Crystal also has that kind of a look to him where he's not, it's not the dashing good looks. That's where like, again, Alec Baldwin is the, I'm the leading man, right? He's, he's too pretty to be this role. He doesn't have, uh, he just has too much of that. So I think Billy Crystal is a pretty interesting one. I like that. Those are some good names. You get, yeah, you get two mm-hmm. iterations of the suit for the helmet. You get the the chunky, you know, yeah. functional, and then you get a slimmed down one at the wedding. And then 
for the montage of going to find out and walk around the world and stuff like that. And then he comes back and gets his actual face. Yeah. So you do get two iterations before you get the face. The next name kind of shocked me. The next two names shocked me. Uh, the first one is <laughs> right. Jack. I Nicholson. love Jack. Jack is great. There is no way I'm, I can picture Jack as Andrew because I just can't, I can't see him like, Jack Nicholson is fantastic, and I love stories. There's a great Matt Damon story talking about making The Departed and working with Jack Nicholson on that that you should find on online. He's telling a story about shooting a particular scene and how he wanted to add stuff to the scene, but he didn't want to add any time or a whole lot of money, so he was just like explaining how you would write the scene and just have it keep keep going and do four or five times more than what you need for the scene and then let it just get edited down. Um, and I thought it was brilliant. Like Jack is great. I cannot, I cannot picture him playing this character at all because all I'm going to see is somebody doing a Jack Nicholson impersonation inside of a suit. <laughs> you ever dance with the devil? I'm just picturing him interacting with a Haley Eisenberg in those early scenes in the movie was, uh, you know, Hey there, little mist. No, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> you want surprise with that? The next name equally as shocking to me, uh, Robert De Niro. A lot of the same reason, right? De Niro's great. De Niro's fantastic. He just doesn't fit this character. He just, he just doesn't. The next. Yeah, I, I agree. The next name, um, I, I'm glad they didn't do it because I don't know if they would have found a, a, a helmet with a oh. nose big enough, and that was Steve Martin. I need to watch that movie again. It's been way too long since I've seen Roxanne. I watched I watched the crap out of Roxanne growing yeah, up because we had right? it on videotape. It was one of the, and it was one that I, I just watched a bunch. I could see him do this. I kind of... I could see him mm -hmm. from the father of the bride standpoint, father of the bride. And, um, uh, oh, uh and even dozen, yeah. what was that? The cheaper, cheaper by the dozen, but both father figures. And I think those father and, figures, and he's a lot, he's a lot like Martin short where uh, the he next, can go, you know, and Robin Williams too, they can go completely goofy and crazy, but Steve Martin can kind of rein that in. So I could see that, that that's, that's a good one. All right. So who's next? The next two names are interesting that they're back to back, given where they were in 1999. The first one is Dan I saw Aykroyd. that one when I, I I glanced over that list and I saw Dan Aykroyd and that one I don't see. Um, it, it's and it's uh, it's the thing about that is like there are times where Dan Aykroyd talks and it sounds like a robot talking. They're just he has a way of doing a very staccato and very like sharp delivery of things. There's a few times as like Ray Stance, for instance, he'll just, you know, he'll blurt something out and it sounds almost recorded, but I just, I'm just not sure that I could see him as, I think there's a, the, the warmth that Robin Williams has is missing from Dan Aykroyd. Um, maybe that's because I, I equate him too many times to like a character like Ray or then uh, Grocer in Gross Point Blank, uh, where he's playing like a hitman. I think his character, the, the way he portrayed uh, the Blues Brothers, might. Yeah, 
That could. I mean, it's going to be very different. All of them are going to be very different from Robin Williams. Um, that one, he's the the kind of quirky comedic actor that I think the least works for me is probably him. The next one is Bill Murray, which was back to back with Dan Bill Murray. Kind of the same thing. He's very funny. He's a very good actor. I just don't feel the same kind of a, a warmth or curiosity from him that I do from, you know, some of these other ones, Dreyfus and Robin Williams and whatnot. The next one I don't really see on the list, but maybe given some of his roles, I'm talking about Odin himself, Anthony Hopkins. I think a younger Anthony Hopkins could have. I think my problem with, and I've said this before, my problem with seeing Anthony or thinking about Anthony Hopkins in this is that his portrayal of Hannibal Lecter made such an impression on me that it's hard for me to trust him in any movie I see him in now. Even when he's playing the good guy, he can be <laughs> the hero fair. of your of your story. And I'm still just like, he is going to turn on you at some point and try to just bite your face off. And it's it's unfortunate. He's a lovely person, I'm sure. I've never met him, but I, from by all accounts, by all accounts, he's a, he's a lovely person. person? But I just yeah. like, he just has he has that that thing where you're just like, I just I just don't know about you. <laughs> so. That's it. I only saw the one movie of that <laughs> series and I'm not watching anything else. He, he scared me away from it, literally. I mean, it's like yeah. really good performance to get it, right? But it, it's like, no, no, thank you. Uh, the next on the list, I think in 1999, probably would have been too oh, big no. for the suit. Nope, and that's nope. William I Shatner. can't. I mean, yeah, he would have definitely been too big for the suit, but I can't. I can't see Shatner doing it. And I don't think Shatner's a bad actor. I think he's quite good. Um, it's just, I just don't see him in that role kind of along the lines of why I couldn't really see Baldwin doing it. Like Shatner still hadn't quite come around to be like, oh, you know, I, I was the dude on Star Trek. Like he was a little too self-serious. He still can be, but on the whole, I don't think late nineties Shatner works. No, no, I got three fine. more names for you. I know this has been a long list, and I apologize, but I got three more names for you. The first first name out of the three, uh, reprising his role, coming back for Escape from San Francisco. It's Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell intrigues me because he can do a lot, but uh, like I think of something like Soldier, right, where he has almost no lines in that in the entire movie, but he's got to do all his acting with his face. And here he'd spend a third of the movie with very little facial expressions. However, the eyes would be so blue for that robot. It would be incredible. Um, <laughs> that's and true. You would have yeah, to have Goldie, Goldie Hawn gotta, in the movie somewhere. She, she would play Galatea, right? She would be the other robot that he runs into. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah. So the penultimate name on here, I think is pretty good for Andrew, uh, knows how to work tools. He's played in two suits in movie I series. I saw that We're talking one. about Tim um, Allen. And he, and he apparently turned it down because of commitment to Galaxy Quest. It intrigues me 
Um, I don't know that I love the idea of Tim Allen, but I don't hate the idea of Tim Allen. He sort of falls in that kind of second tier of like, man, eh, he could have been interesting. Um, because I mean, he's, he is, again, he's very funny. I can't imagine any other person in Galaxy Quest. Oh, no. Though, he's so I'm glad <laughs> he decided to do that versus this. And the last name that I saw. Yeah, perfect for Galaxy Quest. The last name that I saw on this whole thing, which I think would have been good, but the dude, he can he can take on any role. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter. It's Tom Hanks. He, he can he's got enough versatility, enough staying power that he could have done this. Um, cool. still glad we got Robin Williams in the role, but Tom Hanks would hundred percent agree. Been in the I think, role. I think we're, we're lucky. We got Robin Williams. Tom Hanks has, he has that warmth about him that Robin Williams had, right? There's like, there's just a, there's a gentleness to Robin Williams. And there's a, uh, even when he's kind of getting real intense and real serious or even, which is, which is why when Robin Williams did stuff like one hour photo, it was such a drastic departure for him to play this dark character. Um, but, uh, no, I could totally see Tom Hanks. And that was the other one that I, I, I saw a little bit more on was Tom Hanks with Wolfgang Peterson directing originally, um, which is also going to be a very different movie from a Chris Columbus movie. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I could see Tom Hanks. I, I absolutely could. And again, mm-hmm. the voice, right. I, I can almost hear Tom Hanks delivering some of those lines. So that would work. Absolutely. And, and as far as the director, uh, Chris said in a later interview that this was his attempt to get into sci-fi. He wasn't ready for the role at the time to direct a, a major sci-fi film. And he regrets doing this for his part. Robin Williams years later said he regretted doing the movie. There was a rift, a final rift between yeah. Robin and Disney at the time uh, after he uh, blame the studio for poor promotion as the movie's failure and Disney never came back to him after that. So there, there were some consequences out of this. Uh, but Chris, I think a different director's choice might have uh, given the whole thing difference. But again, we have so many serious AI Android robotic movies out there. I think the levity that Chris was able to bring to this film made it the unique film that it is i mean this is the same director that did home alone 2 and there is yeah. even a reference to kate McAllister in the movie so in in some ways i universe. don't dislike chris columbus as a director and i think that by the time he did the first uh of the harry potter series he had um he had even grown a little bit from here and that was only that was basically the next project he did was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone after this, you know, and he had done Mrs. Doubtfire and he had done the home alone movie. So like he knows how to make this kind of a movie, but I think the sci-fi aspect of it and that scope, I think was something he wasn't prepared for. And that hurt him a little bit. And it's the kind of thing, like when you see an actor give a performance, that's not great. There's a, there's a lot of factors that can go into that. Right. Did they have enough time to prepare for the role? Were they given what kind of direction were they given in the role? What's the writing like for it? Um, It's not solely it's no one part of that. I don't think. 
I don't think Chris Columbus is a bad director. I don't think he was the right director for this project, but I don't think he was the worst choice either because he does bring a wholesomeness to his projects um, and that family-friendly kind of thing that he can do. Uh, I just think that, yeah, I think that like the the sci-fi aspects of it, not being really prepared to kind of do that, that's where the movie's lacking a little bit. Um, the writing can feel a little bit wooden at times. It does feel like there's times where there's like just exposition dumps, right? The scenes are just, it's a, it's a lot of tell and not show what Andrew is going through in certain, at certain times. There's, there's definitely moments of it. Like the montage of him wandering around looking for all of the other androids like him was great because you just see him out. And there's that, that moment when he gets to the last one and he sees Galatea at the market and she grabs the apples and then she flips on the music and starts to dance away. There's so much going on there. That's really great because we're watching Andrew experience that and we're seeing what goes on with him. And then when he goes inside and he finds out she's just got her personality chip turned on and you don't, you don't have to hear him say how disappointed he is. You can see it. Um, that's where the movie works. I think the pacing of it got a little bit bogged down and trying to tell so much story. And, and that was where it kind of, it, it hurt it a little bit because again, it's 200 years worth of story. That's a lot. That's a lot to fit in. And also the timeline's a little funky to me. What, what, because it goes from 2005 to 2000 or 2205. Right. Um, but, but, Portia is the granddaughter of the young girl at the beginning. So that's like, and I know she, she got aged or she, he did well, something you to have help to, her age slower, right? Right. It's when he came back from his walkabout and he teamed up with uh, Rupert, oh, yeah. uh, what's his last name? Rupert Burns. Uh, they created a life extension technologies basically in trying to make himself human he gave all these artificial organs and uh, abilities to to either stop yeah. or de-age people out to the public and also just the general advancement of medicine along the way as well helped as as well so remember in the 90s we were talking about life expectancies getting longer and longer it was at the mm -hmm. time it was eight, it, it's reduced since yeah. then but it was in the 80s at the time versus the beginning of the century. So when Asimov was putting this together, he just said, okay, we're going to live to be 120, 150 years old in the future. So that's where I took the, like the first 80 years is with Little Miss and the next 120 years is with Portia. That's kind of the timeline that I was putting together in my head that fit the medical yeah, I technology think, I think available. For where us. I kind of lost a little bit was maybe it just felt like, okay, maybe Little Miss just got she just had her son older and then he had his daughter when he was a little bit older, but I guess extended lifespans could play into that. So that, that could work. Um, it's just, you know, it's a lot like, because they don't really get a chance to, they have to kind of move along with stuff to get, to get the story going. So you don't get a lot of great. Oh yeah. Um, Cause there's the, the moment where he comes up with his designs for the organs. And then when we cut later on, when he's in front of the council, um, the, 
world Congress or whatever it is to try and be declared human. Like he's, uh, he's talking about how, you know, the designs, his designs for artificial organs are in a bunch of the people. And they sort of, it, it's, it's interesting because you come to realize he's actually very prominent and probably really well known worldwide, but that's never like made a thing in the movie. It, it never, the scale of the story never gets to there. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there's a lot of things that aren't, you know, he would be an Elon Musk sort of personality uh, out there, but also it, really resonated with me the more I watch this and the older I get as to um, you had these personal servants, which very analogous these days to mm -hmm. like the Google home or the echoes from Amazon um, that are mobile is kind of the same thing. So it's very analogous to, to that at the time in 2005, but yet we don't see an advancement ever around them and and maybe some of that is the production value of the movie it was only 100 million they really didn't have the time or the money to go into those sorts of things but the inference is that uh, mm -hmm. the the androids are no more they're they're not out there in society and that these northam robotics ndrs and maybe a generation or two and then they just fell out of favor because everybody's like well they're too expensive or they're too human, like nobody wants them. You also don't see anything that's changed in the world. You see some scenes from his walkabout, but you don't see yeah. what you would expect to see over 200 years where you would have major changes in the world, either to natural mm -hmm. disaster or major wars or um, <laughs> aliens coming. Well, maybe Galatea, uh, Galatea uh, is a result of that because, you know, she was one of the people oh, on right. Independence yeah. Day that was <laughs> had the signs in L.A. that got you know, killed by the aliens. So, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe there's that, but you don't see any of that. All you see is Andrew Martin's journey. And then the world really doesn't change around him. And I would think oh, that the world would be changing cool. around him over 200 years. Arthur C. Clarke made changes in society when he was talking about the 2001 series. And I know Asimov did in like the foundation and, and other, but which this is supposed to be in the same universe. So, I mean, if you're watching foundation over on Apple TV plus it, it is the same universe. It's just hundreds of years yeah. beforehand, thousands of years beforehand, really think, from where. Foundation yeah. I is. think that, that comes back so, to what we were saying about Chris uh, Columbus in yeah. the sci-fi realm, because in order to do like sci-fi or fantasy, uh, a lot of times what you've got to do is you've got to be able to build a world. Um, I talk a lot about this with people, you know, world building is a big thing for me, immersion into that world. One of the reasons that the John Wick movies work so well for me isn't just that they're fantastic action movies. It's that they've built this world that it exists in that isn't our world, but it looks like our world. But they've, they've got their rules. They've got their systems in place and all of that that are part of this world of John Wick. And I think that like. When you're doing your workouts, man, do you imagine sometimes. the stairs every single time? Um, I'm still so tired from watching <laughs> that scene. I was just worn out. Um, but like that's what makes things like Star Wars work so well is George Lucas was creating this world and he really gave it that feeling uh, especially early on, those first three movies had this feeling to everything about it. It felt lived in. 
Um, it's what makes the Lord of the Rings movies and those stories work because Tolkien spent so much time explaining the world and the languages in it and all of that kind of stuff. And this doesn't have that because you're right. I thinking about it, the world, there's very few changes. Like we get a couple of establishing shots showing a city in like a flying car or uh, a more futuristic looking car that the mom is driving at one point in the beginning of the movie when we've skipped ahead, whatever it is, 10, 15. Did you, get the, the did you get the trivia yeah. on that one? Yeah. It's actually the same car that was used in Demolition Man. But but the world itself. Yeah. I yeah. didn't realize I, that. I, I mean, I didn't I really recognize research. it at yeah. the time, um, but I saw that afterwards. But like the just the world itself doesn't feel lived in that's sort of kind of what i was saying about like we never get that scale to the story right by the end of it he's literally standing in front of the world congress and the last scene in the movie is the president of the world congress declaring in a broadcast that andrew martin is a human but it, it didn't feel at all like that and i think uh because we never see anything at scale so we don't really see the world that he, that is going on in there. And then you're right. You bring up, it's a perfect point of like just changes, things that would have changed in the world. It just feels like our world with a, a few plastic bits stapled onto it. So I think that's part of what made this, what hurt this movie is a lot of story to cram in. So it makes for a long movie that I'll be honest, feels long. At two hours and 14 minutes or whatever it is, it feels like every bit of that and more. Unless you're involved emotionally into it. Yeah, I could see it, it being long. Uh, the music itself, we haven't even touched mm -hmm. on that yet. James Horner was the composer of this. And of course, he did the Star Trek movies. And there were some bits in there that were directly taken from the, the music of Star Trek. I don't know legally how that oh, all works, I, but there were clearly some notes in there that were the same. And then the initial. Yeah, um, Horner does that a lot. James Horner is known for kind of uh, cribbing on his own work. And um, I saw I did watch a YouTube review of this. And one of the things the yeah. guy, uh, the person doing that review could not get past was the music in the wedding scene was basically music that was from the Braveheart soundtrack. And he like this person just could not they're like, it took me out of everything because all I could hear, all all I could think of was the Braveheart song. Um and that's that's been a knock on James Horner, but um I like his work. So it doesn't bother me when I hear it redone. Uh because he he's kind of just able to do that. But but you're right. There I overall liked the music, um, but you can definitely hear some of the stuff he's done previously in just about everything he does. Because of the Star Trek stuff in there, it actually put me in the mood for sci-fi because of that. But if you hadn't watched like Star Trek two or Star Trek three, uh, you wouldn't get that same feeling ported over. Uh, so I, I could see the the loss there. Not everybody mm. has seen all the Star Trek movies, which okay, I get. But from the Braveheart standpoint, <laughs> yeah. that would have been interesting with Mel um, Gibson. But anyway, no, like, like this isn't a bad movie by any stretch. Um, it's sort of it, its IMDb rating is right around like a six and a half to seven. Um, I think that the critics panned it, which didn't help. 
and the box office on it wasn't great, but there's nothing objectively bad about it. It's just, if anything, it's kind of a, um, and it's funny that it's a movie about an Android fulfilling his destiny sort of thing. Like that the movie itself feels like it just hasn't quite lived up to what its potential was. If that makes sense. Like here's this Android who's literally outstretching his potential and becoming more than what he started off as. And the movie itself about that is not quite there. Like it wants to be, it's got ambition, which I think is really cool. Um, it just doesn't quite execute on it, but it doesn't make it bad. It's still hell, hell of a lot of fun to watch. Um, it's got those moments in it, like the funny moments, right? Where he's rapid firing jokes for the first time. Cause he's getting to, to getting to tell jokes. I thought, I thought Robin Williams, I thought Sam Neill, Sam Neill's got like a, a fatherly presence to him. So he was great. Um, this also was kind of old age make makeup the movie because everybody ended up in old age makeup at some point. I was thinking about that. This is really 25 years ago and the technology to do the movie is so much different today than it was in 1999. Yeah. Basically it was prosthetics back then. And now you have more advanced prosthetics, you have digital rendering, or you yep. can do them both in concert with each other. And the the effects in the background can help as well in the set designs. This movie made today would be so much different, even with Robin Williams in it. And I, I hope somebody does a remake of this, yes. but keeps the same lightheartedness in it, because most of the asthma stuff is so dark and stuff i wonder by the way he passed away in 1992 at the age of 72 if he would have been like uh, 10 years later in his death and he was able to be a consultant for this movie in the 97 mm -hmm. to 99 time frame i wonder how different the movie would have been a, a lot of people don't realize when asimov actually passed away it was only 1992 and for yeah. people that are our age that's within our lifetimes and oftentimes when you're thinking about these iconic sci-fi authors you're thinking of people right. that passed away before we were even born and in this case he lived in our I, that'd be interesting i i do I do think this is ripe for being remade, reimagined with through the lens of today, because also not just visually, which you absolutely could do, um, you would motion capture a lot of the early stuff, right? And, and you would do the prosthetics and digital extensions to a lot of that. Same thing with the backgrounds, um, building that world, that kind of stuff. But also from a narrative standpoint, checking checking in with and kind of going along those lines of like well ai versus uh you know artificial intelligence and an android gaining emotions and gaining sentience and gaining humanity um would be very interesting today and i if it does ever happen i'm with you i want it to keep this same type of tone that it has hopeful that's what it has is it's hopeful instead of the idea that the artificial being gains some sort of sentience and resentment towards people. He never had that resentment to anybody. He was always, Andrew was such a polite, uh, well-meaning person. He was never, there was never animosity except with Galatea. That was, that was another moment that made me laugh out loud when he asks if you've got an impact wrench. And he goes, yeah, over on the shelf. And he just walks off frame 
and all you hear is the the firing of the impact wrench and her start to scream that cracked me up that one that that was incredibly good but like it's that hopeful uh positivity going on throughout this movie that i would love to see done today because uh, i think it would be really really cool but also yeah i mean there's a lot of we've had so many advancements in technology surrounding uh the visuals and the world and the way the story could be told and sort of the angles that you could look at it from and like like you said google home uh or your your series and your alexas and all that kind of stuff um to kind of integrate those ideas into it and what's changed in the last 20 something years uh since this movie came out would be fascinating um as long as you can capture the same kind of heart and get somebody you're not gonna you're not gonna have robin williams again there is no uh there is not another robin williams but you could find someone that could capture the essence of what he brought to things and it's like aladdin right every time you watch aladdin in a different iteration now mm -hmm. it's like it, the genie is so different the genie is robin williams is the genie was so just iconic and uh if that's if you ever get a chance to watch it and you haven't watched any aladdin and you watch that yeah. you're like okay so the genie is is robin williams that's it there, there's no other genie and other people tr uh, kept on coming in to, to try to reprise the role and eventually disney had to bring him back personally to, to play the role in order yeah. to get any traction whatsoever on their sequels and it, it was just the, the same way and i i kind of think this is almost the same thing but we are talking about something that's going to be 30 years you know uh, apart from the original and even though this was kind of set in 2005 they did enough mm -hmm. of trying to make it timeless that it almost looks like it could play today so if you're watching this for the first time today like you did it's not that much different than it would be today sure there's some sets like maybe some kitchen stuff that looks dated but uh and and maybe one of the cars sure. but you could say it's a retro design you know somebody modified a retro car or something like that but uh when it comes down to it uh it's it's been timeless so far at some point it's going to be at the point where okay yeah. a lot of this stuff is looking very dated and and it's put in the past time matter of fact you could even take both the card at the beginning and the date that is said at the end oh, yeah. and you could you could shift the dates in this film you could make it like 2025 which, to 2225 yeah which is probably what i almost the same. i would probably time shift it just a little bit and still take the essence of the story the the story of this android's journey i do like also um the fact that they don't give a concrete reason or uh, inciting incident as to what made Andrew have these feelings. He just sort of does. There's no like, it's not a, they, uh, the Stephen Root character, right? The, the owner of Northam or whoever he's supposed to be talks about it being some sort of a mechanical failure, some sort of a problem in the positronic brain, but we don't have some, there's no short circuit type moment, right? Where it's like he's struck by lightning or there's a power surge in the house or something happens to him. It's just, He's, he's brought to the house and at some point he starts to just have these feelings and have these thoughts and have these curiosities. And I kind of like that, that it just sort of happens. Um, and he was given the specific circumstances in which to learn and grow mm -hmm. 
and cultivate this personality in a robot that's not supposed to have a personality chip. And in his walkabout, it's inferred that there were many more androids that spontaneously developed their own personalities or souls or whatever you want to call it, but they were all reprogrammed or dismantled along the way. So at the end, after 200 years, the NDR-114, I believe is the model number, the NDR-114 model, yep. he is the last one standing that has any sort of soul or personality to it, which makes this a dark film when you're talking about Galatea because she's at the end and she has to unplug Portia and it was an order. She does mm -hmm. not have her own free will. So that makes it a little bit dark at the end. And that's not really explored either. So you leave on this good hearted Robin Williams got his uh, determination as being a man, but yet, another NDR uh, the same model and has lasted the same and just had her personality chip turned on instead and had been reprogrammed by Rupert. She is nowhere near where Robert, um, yeah, Robert, where Andrew no, she Martin is. is she has end. remained, uh, the robot that she was, uh, throughout all of it. Whereas he somehow grew, uh, beyond that and then embrace that. And it was helped by, I mean, like you said, he was in the perfect situation, right? Because he gets bought by this family. And I did, I loved the character that Sam Neill plays as sir, the way that he goes about things because he starts off the movie talking about, you know, look, Andrew, they give him a name right away, which I thought was really cool. And that, that immediately sets you up for what type of, person he is and what type of people this family is but like they give him a name right away and right after the older daughter miss tries to like mess with him by having him jump out the window um he immediately says look andrew is not a person right he is property but we're going to treat him like a person and like that feeds into it and then he's talking about you know look you're not going to spend all your time doing this and this you're going to build things and he he gives him a lot of growth and a lot of room to grow and he helps to foster that. And when Andrew asks him for his freedom, it hurts him because, and at first I was like, I don't know if I like the way that's playing out, but I thought about it more and more. And he really almost kind of looks at Andrew like a son, right? Like one of his own kids and, and he's lost all his kids have moved away. They've all grown up and now he's the, now this is happening with Andrew. So it's like, that made sense to me, but I just loved the Sam Neill character and how just kind of genuine he was. Um, and he, he always had good intentions in anything he would do. And he was just looking out for Andrew, which was great. He did have some shortcomings. Like he didn't yeah. want to talk to miss about her boyfriend of choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, oh, sure. so his shortcomings started to come through a little bit there, but it was him, him. And, you know, ironically, he was the cause of Andrew wanting eventually his freedom. Yep. And it took Little Miss to point it out to him that, uh, no, this wasn't me, this was you and everything. And then he took, I guess, the night to think about it. It hard to tell the time between that conversation and the next scene that we see, but he took the night to think about it. It's like, yeah, okay, you're right. Okay, Andrew, you're free. You need to leave this house, which, uh, you know, as somebody that has had three kids graduate from college, and uh, the desire is to get the heck out. And, and no, 1999 was a different time than the 2020s are. But uh, they come back. That's true. Even if you don't want them to. So 
So then, then I get the, you have to leave, you have to be on your own. You have to make your own life. You can't just depend on me. And we're society right now to get on a great tangent society right now is actually mm -hmm. transitioning to multi-generational where you're getting uh, like people that are middle-aged like us that have kids that might be having kids themselves that are still in the house. And then you're taking care of your parents which are either in your house or in a facility. So it's a multi-generational, like three or four generations that are forced to still live yeah. together or mutually support each other, which is dramatically different than 25 years ago, where everything, there was that sort of multi-generational family stuff going on back then, but the American iconic uh, family was you yeah. had each generation in their own place, uh, living on their own. And, uh, we, we are transitioned from that, uh, to a multi-generational society, mm -hmm. I think just based on economics, if anything else today. So it's, it's, it's interesting seeing the shifts of, uh, yeah. of that. And I think too, that could be an interesting thing to explore in a remake of this movie is sort of Andrew existing because he is effectively immortal until the very end of the movie when he makes yet another upgrade to make himself degrade uh he he upgrades by downgrading uh in a way but like for him to exist and live through these multi-generations with this family and with these people could also be explored a little bit more and how that how that altered over time you know maybe early on you played a lot more like what we were like 20 years ago and it was more independence within the generations or forced, um, sometimes almost forced independence, right? Like you're 18, you're, you're paying rent, you're getting out of the house kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, and I liked that. And, and then like Sam Neill's character basically telling him you need to deal with the consequences of wanting your freedom, which is get out of the house. Um, but bringing him back right at the end and getting to close that loop and sort of, and Andrew never resenting him for anything that happened either, which is a, again, I think what I liked about this movie was Andrew always had this hope for people. He never gave up on people. And I really, really like. Yeah. At little miss deathbed, he, he comes to a realization that he needs to do something about things because this way of living really sucks. And while well, it does, mm -hmm. I mean, that's it, one of the teary eyed points for me in the movie when I haven't watched in a while is as both deaths actually and it it just hits you in the heart because especially if you're dealing with it from a personal standpoint and going through similar sorts of things it's like yeah well death sucks it's part of life and he moves on and he wants to do something about it but the death is still there you just elongate it a little bit it's very interesting when sam neil sir tells him to get out and he's like i'll always be close by <laughs> he ends up it's inferred mm. that their community is right next to the beach right so he, he goes down to the beach and he uh, uh puts this so this is the pacific yep. coast right and he's right on the pacific coast and there's not much height in between the ocean yeah. and where his cabin is and um yeah the major storms that the north pacific get or the central pacific is san diego or san san diego san francisco area gets nope. that cabin's not mm. going to exist there after like 20 years and just the fact that you know first of all i don't think you can build there 
if if that plot exists I, I don't think you could build there but second of all i guess he has enough money that he's able to change building codes and to buy the uh property yeah, and, in order to do that that's how wealthy and he run is. the power he's there, able to change we only that. see him plug into the power once but he's got to have some power in that house yeah i was thinking about that i didn't be. see the roof but it probably i did love solar see. yeah he has no I, need I, I, yeah, yeah he, he has no need I for love water, the so. scene where they go back um when he when he asks for the upgrades at Northam and uh he the guy is like oh, oh sure whatever and he hands him the the thing and he's like oh that's what I make in a month that's my monthly salary it's, it's more than I make in a year like that's when you realize how wealthy he is and that was actually one of my thoughts at the very beginning of this movie because it's just that establishing shot of the house as the the delivery vans driving up and like, Oh, these are some rich people. Cause that's a uh-huh. big house. Um, uh-huh. and, and again, because the story isn't trying to be dark, that's where we go. Um, is this affluent area where, where, uh, Andrew is going to be in that kind of an environment. Um, but they're going to be the ones that could afford that as well. So that's how that starts. But no, I, I do think like, Again, I think there's a lot of good bones to this movie. I think that there's there's great performances, whether it's Robin Williams. We didn't really talk about Oliver Platt as, um, you know, the um, Rupert. Like, Oliver Platt's great. The, there's, I mentioned how there's a lot of, like, exposition scenes, right? It's just two people talking. But a couple of those with Oliver Platt, especially the one, and I, I did capture the, the reaction audio of it, but when they're... When they're sitting there and Oliver Platt's drinking the beer and uh, Andrew starts telling Rupert about, you know, why he wants to, why, why it would be fascinating to him to become a fully functional uh, person. And he's explaining sex to him and you just watch and Rupert is just sitting there like, I want that. Like It's, just, it's so good the way he, the, <laughs> this Oliver Platt just delivers that because again, Oliver Platt has that kind of, he can have that vulnerability to him. Right. And that sort of childlike. Uh, almost um, quality, and the two of them playing off each other was great. I just, I like, I really like that scene. Like, there's, there's really good moments in this. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing. If I were going to grade it, it's like at, you know, it's a C plus B minus type of movie. Like, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad about it. I just could see places to improve it, to make it a little bit better. Um, but it's not performance wise because again, Robin Williams gets to be Robin Williams throughout the whole thing. And he slowly becomes more and more himself and more and more kind of what you're expecting out of him. But, but he never goes too far in that. And in, in... no, at the end, mm-hmm. he's, he's, uh, definitely an old man. He's, um, not dark, but subdued yep. and wistful. And, um, he's just trying, he, he's experienced so much and you can just tell that he's very contemplative, I guess would be another term to describe him. And, uh, you know, looking back at his life at humanity, you know, cause he studied humanity and that's where he came up with the idea of freedom is, is, uh, it, it is valued so much that he wants it just like he studied sex so much. He wanted to have sex and, and experience that it's, uh, 
it's interesting seeing somebody that has lived 200 years. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm AARP age myself. And, you know, I look back on my life going, you know, the way I feel, if I would feel today, like I felt like I was 20, it would be one thing, but I, I feel like I do today. And I'm going to be glad that there's an end to it because I know it's just going to get worse for me here on in. Oh yeah. From a health standpoint, everybody goes through it. This, this is not, <laughs> uh, I'm not announcing that I'm dying or anything. This is just, you know, a regular aging. And, um, uh, I, I can understand as I, cause I, I didn't no. get that when I first watched this 25 years ago, fast forward to 25 years. I'm like, I get that guy that's standing up in front of the world Congress. I get, and laying in bed mm -hmm. with well, Porsche at the end. Cause I that's another that aspect of it that I feel like they could have expanded on a little bit more is the idea of Andrew being immortal and immortality versus mortality. They do talk about it. You know, at one point Porsche tells him like, I don't want to live forever. I don't want to keep taking these supplements and keep extending my life. At some point, I'm going to want to stop because humans are meant to be here for a, a period of time. And I like I, anybody that knows me knows that I'm a fan of Highlander uh, as a series and the idea of all of that. And that's one of the things that always fascinated me about those uh, stories is the wrestling with immortality and the fact that you know, some of these characters are hundreds, if not thousands of years old and the things that they've experienced and what they've gone through and like Andrew going through these kinds of things, but now becoming more and more human as he goes and understanding humans more, which is why they have that scene. And she tells him how, you know, she, at some point she is just going to be old and not want to continue on. And his response is like, I don't, I can't, think of living without you and his sort of that's his first real real understanding of what that means and that's something that i think could be expanded on too is especially an artificial being and sort of artificial intelligence and machine learning expanding and growing and then and then learning and, and integrating emotions and sensations and things that uh, and how to interpret them you know i love the scene where He's about to get the central nervous system and Oliver Platt, you know, Rupert's telling him, look, there's going to be a whole lot more that you're not even thinking about. And sometimes it's going to be too much and overwhelming. Uh, are you sure you want this? Like, that's the kind of stuff that I feel. I just that's where I feel like the movie could have done more is in really diving into those kinds of things. They sort of mention it and then we just cut ahead and he's OK and he's he's integrated it already. We missed that process. I mean, with Data, you brought up Data before. He had seven mm -hmm. seasons on that show to evolve as a character, and then several movies afterwards, and, and including the Picard series that just you know aired a few months ago, about a year ago or so, which was a, mm -hmm. a great finale for that crew, in my opinion, a lot better than what they had received on the big screen. So I'm yeah. glad that they were able to to transition <laughs> into the realm of streaming from from TV to movies to streaming. I was so glad that they were able to make that last season of, of Picard to do that. But Data had so much time. Yeah. You have two hours to do this with Andrew to represent 200 years. And even given all that with Data, you only really got, I don't know, 20, 30 years out of it. I, I don't know sure. the Star Trek timeline that well off the top of my head, but it's definitely more compressed than what you're getting here and 
also again you're dealing with technology that was in 1999 so they were trying to make it real in star trek you can say okay it's futuristic this is taken care of like positronic brains a central nervous system all that fully functional all that stuff okay it's taken care of but here you're trying to explain it with given 1999 technology i think it would be very different today especially after you uh, have similar sorts of asimov related properties yeah. like irobot and foundation to go off of and uh i guess that's w one of the reasons why my mind went to this movie in particular is i did catch up with foundation i think i mentioned this before i catch caught up with foundation mm -hmm. season two i, I believe they're going to do a season three there is a character in there that is basically an android and it's very similar to um the the well it's the same like i said before asimov it's all the same universe it's the same as irobot and uh positronic yeah. man i believe it's what this is based off of uh so it's it's the same universe so if you want to see different renditions off of the same vision there are other works to see in particular irobot wasn't made too far yeah. from this but it was a very different take on the technology and exactly what you're talking about, about um, making somebody human. Uh, you brought up Blade Runner before, great analogy, great, great, uh, uh, not necessarily Asimov, but great uh, similar work out there. Uh, if you want something to think about with these things, I just think this is a good rendition yeah. on um, the lightheartedness, the, the positive thinking, and uh, what could happen if given, uh, technology time to wrap themselves around yeah, absolutely benevolent no, and, development. and i do think uh that this is a movie worth sitting down and watching sometime um some people aren't going to like the the slow pace of it i get that that's fine if you don't like the movie you know that that's your prerogative i didn't hate the movie i'm probably i don't see myself rushing out to watch it again but if it comes up again or if somebody says, hey, I've never seen this. Do you want to watch it? I'll watch it with them. I won't I won't actively avoid it um, at all. So, no, this was and it was and I'm glad that I saw it. I'm glad that I got to see this because it was a different, a little bit different performance from Robin Williams. Um, and it does. It did get my brain spinning a little bit and get it kind of just crunching through some stuff and thinking about things like you know, would this maybe work better in a six or eight episode, you know, do it as a long movie broken up in a, in a mini series type of thing where you could take a little bit more time with it um, and let things breathe. There's a lot of different stuff, but it got me thinking, uh, which is what a movie should do. So this is a good choice for that. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. You could make this into a trilogy. You could go through the the Sam Neill part of it in the first one, the kind of the walkabout thing with Miss Little Miss in the yeah. second one, and the portion in the third. Yeah, I could see that. You said you I did. had some uh, not a uh, ton, audio that you pulled, um, though. But I got a couple. There were some moments that just made me chuckle. Like I the moment where Miss calls him up to the bedroom and has him open the window and then jump out the window while the parents are playing chess downstairs. Um and it, when he falls out, it just, this exchange was great. And it's not playing. Why? Did you hear something? It's an earthquake. <laughs> did, did you hear something? Like you fell right next to him. That, that did crack me up. 
Yeah. Um, I'm so focused on the okay. game. If I didn't see the beginning where, uh, where it said based on a novella or a story by Isaac Asimov, the giveaway would have been the first thing that Andrew says to them is, do you want to see a demonst- uh, a presentation about the three laws of robotics? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. That, I will admit, felt like it was a little shoehorned in there. Like, well, we got to work in the laws of robotics. And then they just never deal with them again. Uh, one time only thing. One time only. Not, like, even thematically <laughs> throughout the again. movie, it's never really talked about the laws of robotics again. But I did enjoy... Uh, that so I I did capture that. Um, so here's the the Isaac Asimov's okay. three laws of robotics, as told by Andrew. First law of robotics: A robot may not injure a human being, or through inaction cause a human being to come to harm. Second law. A robot must obey all human orders, except where those orders come in conflict with the first law. Third law. A robot must protect itself, so long as doing so does not conflict with the first two laws. And then I love Sam Neill's reaction. Sir's reaction is like, Andrew, never do that again. (laughs) So that one was pretty good. He seems a real well-read person. I think he would have read that in the documentation coming from Northern Robotics before he, uh, Northam Robotics, excuse me, before he so, actually yeah. purchased um, the NDR. So let's see. This one's just called Lips. Oh, this is another, you, you know, this is a Robin Williams, like chicken lips. It had to have been at some point. Ah, okay. Hold on. My audio is weird. Um, there's going to be a bit of a gap here, but, uh, I did like uh, a lot about the way that uh, this one went down um, just because this is so Robin Williams. Chickens do not have lips. One of the girls just like the food sucks, sucks, but chickens don't have lips. Um, I did. Okay. So <laughs> you mentioned how there were like, you know, moments that kind of tug at the heartstrings, right? One of them for me was sir's realization that Andrew is no longer re- referring to himself as one. Um, and, and it didn't hit me the way the scene played out and he's just saying, I, a bunch, I'll look, I will look for a place to live. I will be close by all of that. And then it took, honestly, it took sir saying something where he's just for him to be like, Oh yeah, no, uh, you're, you know, you're not referring to yourself as one anymore. You stopped referring to yourself as one. Which then, that that alone was profound. What the tear-jerking moment was, was in front of the World Congress at the end, um, where they're turning him down for being, for his, his whole thing, and he comes back with... One is glad to be of service. Yeah, like a beaten dog. Uh, that was... That was impactful when it came back, especially after it's like an hour and a half later, but after you get that statement from Sam Neill, 
And then you get him saying that mm-hmm. in a very public official place. It's like, oh, you're giving up, man. And, and again, that's that, that, just sucks. that thing that Robin Williams could pull off, right? Like he just had, you. He, he did it in Patch Adams. He did it in Jack. He did it in uh, um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Like all of those movies had that moment where he's just defeated. And this was that moment. And I like that that's not where it ended, that they did give us the last little bit of him finishing out the journey. Um, so, yeah. But that was, like, there. there's not a ton. Of, it's not quippy. There's not, like, a lot of quippy audio for it. So, uh, But I did capture those couple of things. I thought those were fun. Um, I just, you know, Robin Williams, Oliver Platt were great. Sam Neill was great. Um, it's still because I saw um, Get Out, uh, not that long ago for the first time, anytime I see Bradley Whitford, I'm just like, nope, sorry, don't like you. You're a bad dude. Like, so, and granted. <laughs> he was great. I, I well, think of him mostly from West Wing, right? And and that's not the only thing he's ever done, but the, the West Wing was his finest work and was the finest work with a bunch of mm-hmm. the people that were involved yeah, in that. Uh, yeah, and this would have been right before he started that, I think or right around when he was starting West Wing. Yeah. Yeah, West, West Wing uh, And also, I did like Stephen Root. Yeah. Uh, but I love Stephen Root. Anytime he shows up in anything. as the, He was Dennis Mansky. Um, he was the, the, I guess, owner, I don't know, executive of some type at Northam Robotics. But uh, he's just great. He, he is one that can play very sinister when he wants to and it felt almost like they wanted to go that route but not quite far enough so he's also just a little bit silly um which he can do very well uh i think if you were going to cast him in this and make it today though he would have a red swing line stapler on his desk but uh you know he was in the office space for those that don't that aren't making the connection there yes he would have had a stapler on his on his desk uh that whole thing was interesting and I, I was wondering about it and after i uh read up on it uh the organization north am robotics actually in asimov's yep. writing was called us robotics which was before us robotics became a company they saw this they were allowed to uh, see the script and and see some early screamings, and they understood that their company was not being shown in a positive light. So they asked for for the the uh, company to be yeah. renamed, and that's why we get North Am Robotics and not U.S. Robotics. But if you're an Asma fan, you have not seen uh, Bicentennial Man, right. which I don't know how you could because usually asthma fans are watching everything but in case you have been yes us robotics was supposed to be the company's name but they at the actual company asked don't <laughs> um, put us in a bad light so they renamed it to northam there are some uh, i guess um uh logos of us robotics that can still be seen in scenes i, yeah, I didn't um, pause and and look around, but I guess I, I there read are that still some uh, after that the fact, there. and I'd be curious to kind of look for those because that that kind of stuff's always neat to see. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked how U.S. Robotics named their company because of Asimov, and then they saw this like, uh, could we could we change the name, guys? <laughs> could could you not make us look this bad? Um, that's fine. <laughs> no, this is, look, this is a fun movie. Um, there's there's it's it is a it's long and it does tug at the heartstrings. Um, it is gonna, gonna do that, but I think it's worth seeing. 
So I'm glad that I got to see it. Thank you for for uh, suggesting it and getting me to watch it finally, uh, 20, 24 years later. Yeah, you, you bet. I mean, it's got yeah. John Michael Higgins in it. So if you're a Pitch Perfect fan, you know, that that's him. That's your guy. Or or <laughs> yeah. if you're watching Game Show Network, you're going to see him. So <laughs> might right. as well. And then Haley Eisenberg, too. She was uh, great as Little Miss at like seven years old. She was adorable. This is like the second thing she did. She was. Um, and yeah, she's been in a lot. And this was this was uh, one of her, I think, finer roles, basically. But at seven, you know, that's the whole thing about child actors. You should probably do an arc of of child actors at some point in time, whether it's Home Alone or or this or or whatever. Because um, how we treat child actors today, like the Harry Potter trio, how they are treated was very different than those that came mm-hmm. in front of them because of all the issues that have occurred with child actors over the and, and not to say that the Harry Potter trio didn't sure. have issues because they did and they will admit it but um, we're getting better at treating young talent in yes. the industry which is which is good because no. you don't want to ruin somebody's life just because their first 15 years of their lives their parents are saying no. you will and, act and, and make you me know money. Haley Eisenberg so stopped acting in films around 2011 uh, and she apparently focused on going to school and, and doing that. So good for her. Um, uh, and I did not know this, but uh, that's Jesse Eisenberg's sister. So, had no idea. Yeah, so I didn't know that either. He, he took cool. over and just said, you know what, sis, I'll do the acting. Now you can go to college and do your thing. <laughs> I, so no, this, I got this, this. this was great. Thank you so much for bringing this one to me. Now, are you still doing um, the uh, the Agents of Shield show? I guess would be there's probably there's no, no, no Legends of Shield. Yeah, Legends of Shield, the Legends of Shield. We're still covering Marvel stuff. Matter of fact, we just recorded an episode earlier today, oh. uh, looking at the What If season two series that just uh, streamed. I wanted to say aired, streamed over the holiday season. And uh, we'll be taking on Echo, which is out now pretty soon. Uh, but then because of the strikes and because of Marvel's slowdown, because they haven't been doing so well lately, it's going to be it's going to be a long time in between properties for the rest of the year and into 25 until they ramp back up, basically. Uh, but we're supplementing with X-Men Evolutions. We've already covered the X-Men 92 series and X-Men 97 is supposed to come out later this year, too. So, yeah, we have a lot of Marvel properties that we talk about. Uh, well, all of the Marvel. Po- we Basically, everything since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Iron Man in 2008, and then some of the stuff that has come before that, we uh, have been covering over on there. I did start a new podcast recently uh, oh. to help a friend who is recovering from a stroke, and that is called Artie's Attic, and it is oh, nice. about the Warehouse 13 series. So another lighthearted sci-fi stuff, uh, but it's what she, re- it's her, her true love. And that didn't change with the yep. stroke. Cause you know, sometimes personality changes when people has stroke. She, she almost died twice, uh, last Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, 2022. And then, uh, she finally got out of the hospital January 8th. And, uh, we started podcasting with her on Picard season three, uh, a few months later, and then continued with the Artie's attic on, uh, the warehouse 13, so that is uh, a new one for me. And really, we're just trying to have fun and allow her a low pressure avenue to try to, you know, mend some of those um, 
brain passageways since she doesn't have a positronic brain and uh, you know, do that all of that. I also, in case you're listening or watching this and have a podcast yourself, I also have better podcasting, which helps other hobby podcasters Excellent. make their definitely check those better. out. Uh, Artie's Attic, Legends of Shield, and Better Podcasting. Very, very cool. SB, thank you so much for being here this week. This is fun. Yep. It's good to get you back on the show. Um, we'll definitely do oh, it again sometime. This show, yeah, this show, I typically Looking record Sunday it. nights. We shifted things around a little bit this weekend. Um, but uh, the show gets recorded and then comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcast. So just search for that um, as wait you haven't seen. Or you can go to tvstravis.com. There are links there for the RSS feed for certain podcatchers. Um, you can find it on YouTube as well. You can also find merchandise on this website and uh, the Patreon for the show, which is also, which is at patreon.com forward slash W Y H S. And you can join there. There's exclusive uh, stuff for patrons and uh, there's exclusive stuff for patrons that back the show for as little as a dollar an episode. So if you can do that, I appreciate it. Uh, if not, if you just want to join or just listening to the show, all of that, I appreciate everything. Uh, I love everybody that, that listens to this and that's why I do it. I do it because it's fun. Um, so thank you to everybody that does listen. Uh, and thank you, SP, for being here this week. Next week, I've got Kit London coming back. And uh, she has never seen War Games. And we're going to watch War Games. And I'm excited because I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And uh, I can't wait to, to go back and watch nice. some, uh, some baby Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. Because they're just, they're just babies in this. They are one of their first movies for both of them. Oh man, yep. a little wow. whopper action in Cannot there. Wait. So that's what's going to be that's next week uh, here on what you haven't seen. Until then, SP, thank you for being here. Uh, we'll be back next week with War Games. Until then, just remember to enjoy your movies and uh, look, just be excellent to each other. All right, it's been wait you haven't seen. of shit. Yes, but, but with feeling. Oh. What a piece of shit. More. What a piece of shit. Good. Very good. Thank you. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>